Uh, good morning, welcome. Uh, welcome to our Sunday morning service. Um, and uh, I want to welcome you this morning if you're here for the first time. Uh, you might have been invited by a friend or a family member. And I want to welcome you this morning. I, I want you to know that you're in a place today, well, you're not in, but you're with a place today that is uh, a place that, that cares for you. Uh, and I say that with all sincerity. Um, what you'll hear this morning is, I hope, will be those things that are going to help you. Uh, we hope, I hope, that what you hear this morning, most importantly, is truth. Because truth can be challenging. Uh, it can be challenging, and you might sit here this morning and find truth challenging, but I can guarantee you truth will change you as well. Um, and so if that's what you desire this morning, if you desire uh, for a change of heart, a change of life, uh, something that you know only God can do, that I know truth, though it can really impact and cha challenge, it also definitely uh, changes. And so I pray this morning that you open your heart to listen to the voice of God. Um, let's pray. Let's pray together um, and let's ask the Lord uh, to Lord bless his word to us. Uh, I pray that uh, what I share with you this morning is able to be clear and I pray that you are, you are blessed by his, his word and not my word, but the word of, of Jesus. Father God, I thank you for this morning, Lord. I thank you, Father in heaven, that you are a good and gracious God. We come before you, Lord. We come before your word this morning, praying that um, your Holy Spirit may reveal all things to us and that your Holy Spirit may speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray that we open our hearts to hear what you have to say. We pray that you are glorified and you are magnified. We pray, Lord God, that you would uh, speak the things we need to hear, Lord, and that you would guide us and lead us uh, in your righteous and beautiful way. So, Father, I pray for all that are here this morning, those who've come for the first time, those who come regularly, or those who've just joined us for a while. I pray, Lord, you speak to us all, uh, including myself, Father, and pray your blessing upon this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so uh, I thank God for this morning and an opportunity to, to share with you. I kind, of, I kind of feel like I'm not sure where it's all going to go, but I pray that uh, <laughs> there's some clarity uh, in, what I'm, in what I'm sharing. Um, on, sadly, you would have heard during the week um, uh, the tragedy, the tragedy, the explosion that happened in Lebanon. Um, it was horrific to watch. When I first saw the scene, I was... I was kind of a bit taken back and, and, and a little bit emotional to see that it was such a massive, uh, massive explosion that, that took place, perhaps something that could have been avoided. Um, but they showed one lady uh, in hospital. I don't know if people saw this on the news, but they showed one lady in the hospital. She was sitting next to her child in the hospital who'd been injured by the blast. And she was, she was quite distressed. She was quite emotional. She was controlled, but she was very emotional. And, um, and, she, and she said this, and I, I wrote it down after I heard her say this. She said this. She said, I just want to leave for a place with no politics, guns or religion. I just want to leave for a place with no politics, guns or religion. Sounds like to me, she wants it, well, she wants what Jesus wants. Sounds like to me, she wants a place that Jesus wants as well she wants a place and, a, and, a, and an experience that jesus gives because what she's describing here is everything man has created hasn't is doesn't she is, isn't she doing this she's she's describing what man has made man has touched it and ruined it when everything should be beautiful by god's design man has gone and put his hand to it thinking he's wise thinking he's smart thinking he's good thinking he can do better and he's 
destroyed or defiled what God's designed. She wants a place without politics, or so does God. Because God wants to lead well. God wants to be her leader. God wants to be our leader. God doesn't want a place where people are arguing over uh, political ideologies to the point where they're killing each other. God doesn't want that sort of place. God doesn't see that. He doesn't see the, the, the cultural differences of people. What God sees is his creation and a deep love for those who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God doesn't want guns. He doesn't want people to be perishing because someone decides that they're unhappy with someone else and so they'll take it upon themselves to destroy someone else. He doesn't want that because God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God doesn't want people going around and determining when they decide they want to kill and not kill. God doesn't want religion. What God wants is a place where men and women are free. Men and women know Jesus Christ and are set free. You see, what God doesn't want politics, he wants to lead. He doesn't want um, guns, he wants to heal. He doesn't want religion, he wants to free. Simple. So when this woman shared her ache and shared her heart, I think to myself, she wanted Jesus. She's sick of what this world has done with his world. And I don't care how many people try and tell me that religion's a crutch. And they can tell me that as much as they want. Religions are, oh, religions are crutch. You just, because you haven't got strength yourself. You know what? I would happily confess I don't have strength myself. I'm happy to, I'm happy to confess that. Because I know in understanding this, I rely not just on God, but I rely on my creator who designed me not have to come to a place of exhaustion, but to come to a place of rest. And so this morning, brothers and sisters, friends, whether you know the Lord Jesus Christ or not, I want to encourage you this morning to know that God doesn't want politics. He doesn't want guns. He doesn't want religion. He wants to lead you. He wants to heal you and he wants to free you. This is the heart of Jesus. There's a beautiful song, an old hymn, nothing but the blood of Jesus. I want to read one of the verses for you. It says this. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And I want us to reflect on this for a moment. What can wash away my sin? What can take away those things that have uh, um, uh, haunted me and, and um, debilitated me for, for, for years even? What can take away my sin? What can wash away my sin? No amount of effort you have made can clear a, a guilty conscience. No amount of trying can make you feel better about what you did. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, you can try and try and try. But until you are washed in the blood of the Lamb, this is your freedom. Until you are washed by the blood of Jesus, this is your hope. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What? 
can make me whole again. Because how many people spend their whole life looking up all kinds of, of strategies and new age philosophies in order to find wholeness? Yet only to find themselves still empty and incomplete. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow to be able to come to the foot of the cross and allow every blood of drop that Jesus shed to drip over you. That is wholeness. Oh, precious is that flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount, no other place, no other, no other uh, person to go to, no other philosophy, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And this morning, I, want to, I pray this morning that we would grasp, we would grasp and, and contemplate and reflect and understand that this is the place where all your restoration will come from. All your healing will come from. Every addiction and habit will be broken. Every sin and chain of sin will be smashed. Because in Jesus, in Jesus, he looks at his creation and says, I know you're exhausted because you've done it your way all the time. But come, come to the foot of the cross in humility and know my grace. So, so who am I even? Who am I? When I look myself in the mirror, I think to myself, who in the world even am I in this life? You think when you look yourself in the mirror, you look and you think, Really, are you made of what is exterior? Is your beauty what you see on the outside? Do you really believe that? Is it the capacity for you to, to stay um, attractive? Is that, is that really what makes you as a person? Or when you look yourself in the mirror and you say, deep down, you see what God is looking at. And that very thing is the very thing that God wants to heal. And we know, brothers and sisters, we know. But the grace of God has become available to us because of what Jesus did on the cross. And for that, we are forever grateful. And I want to read a passage this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, it's about 11 verses, but I'm only going to really focus on two or three verses, but we'll read, we'll read all of them. But I really just want to emphasize two or three verses. So if you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll look from verses 1 to 11. But like I did last week, I want to start from verse 10. And I want us to read verse 10 together. And maybe like last week, I wonder if how many of you decided that you would actually memorize um, 1 Samuel 17, 47. Maybe this week, if you're going to memorize any verse, this is the verse you're going to memorize. I, I would encourage you to memorize this verse. You don't need to. But again, sometimes your word I've kept in my heart that I may not sin against you, the psalmist says. And perhaps if you memorize it as a way of expressing that you've kept his word in your heart, that you may not sin against him. And so I encourage you this morning, if, you're gonna, if you want to memorize a verse, if you want to memorize a verse, then this is a verse I'd, I'd encourage you to memorize. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. And maybe if you do memorize it, maybe text me, not to boast about it, but just to text me, even just as an encouragement to, for you and for me, that you, that you find God's word, God's word, at, um, maybe it's, it's revealed something to you or uh, you find it precious that you've done this or you find it's helped you in some way. It's beautiful to share God's word with one another 
because it's God's word that is truth and truth. Yes, does challenge, like I said before, but it also changes. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10 uh, says this, and but by the grace of God, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Amazing. Who am I? The Bible tells us here, Paul asks the same question or, or alludes to the same idea. And he says, you know what? By the grace of God, I am what I am. I am who I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. He gives no other explanation. In this passage, he tries to, uh, uh, he doesn't try and, and define it any other way. He doesn't try and explain it any other or rationalize it any other way. He says, you know what? Very simply, you're looking at me today. You're seeing my life today. I'm going to tell you something. The reason why I am what I am today is because of God's grace. Because where would I be without it? And he speaks of God's grace as this, this, this thing that can transform his life because he's personally experienced it. He, he tried to find peace with God being righteous. He tried to find peace with God being good. He tried to find peace with God by doing all the rules and laws, but he couldn't, not like he does now. And he says, you know what? I've tried all that. I was the best, I was the best in many things. I was the, if you like, the leader of the law. He goes, I couldn't do it though. At the end of the day, I found myself to be wretched and filthy and defiling or defiled within. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And then he goes on to say, but I labored even more. <laughs> I had this grace, but I didn't stop there. I made sure that I used it as much as possible. And here we have this incredible uh, uh, complexity of, that has baffled theologians for generations. Who does the work? Is it God or is it man? And it's incredible how it's baffled theologians. And sometimes I wonder that the only reason it's baffled theologians is because they're determined to create a systematic theology. And they're determined to put things into boxes. And because of their man's desire to box theology, it's baffled them. Rather than reading God's word in its simplicity, Paul says it very simply, by God's grace, I am what I am, but I labored more and more. This incredible uh, two uh, what apparent opposing views that is so woven together so intricately and beautifully by God's word. That we don't have to create a systematic theology. We just need to trust in the word of God. Do you remember that sensation that came out into the internet where the dress people saw, some people saw uh, black and blue, other people saw white and gold. You might remember that. And people were like, why? What's going on here? They, they were baffled. They were confused. Why is it that some people can see black and blue and other people can see white and gold? What's, what's going on? And they were amazed at the, the fact that people saw differently. And I'm telling you the truth, brothers and sisters, this this idea of, of sovereignty and man's free will has baffled theologians and Christians for generations. But I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, rest. Rest. Know that God's grace 
has got you and know that because of God's grace, you hold on to him. Rest. Don't worry about trying to somehow, not, why don't they see it like this? And why does she, why does it? Rest in the trust of God's word. And allow your rest to be found that God's word is speaking to your heart and that you are being fed by truth. Think about it for a moment. How did I get to where I got to today? How did you get to where you got to today? Over the last weeks and months and years, how did you get to where you got to today? Now, the human uh, religious side of us will say, yeah, you know, I started going to church. I started reading my Bible. I started doing this. I started to think about this for a moment. How did you get to where you got to today? God's grace. So how are you going to get to where you need to go later? How are you going to travel the path God has set for you later? God's grace. How did you break the habits and sins of your life leading up to now? How did you manage to do that? Because you put your mind to it? Because you were somehow attuned with your feelings? How did you, how did you manage to break the habits and sins of your life up till now? God's grace. And how are you going to break the habits and sins that may come up into the future? How are you going to face them as they may come up for you in the future? God's grace. Brothers and sisters, how did you face your fear in the past and find peace? How did you do it in the past? God's grace. And how are you going to do it in the future? How are you going to fight, face your fear in the future and find peace, peace that passes understanding again? Then there's nothing more than the grace of God. No wonder why we sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And the Apostle Paul knew it perfectly well where his life had come from and where his life was going. He knew his sin. He knew his filthiness. He knew his unrighteousness. He knew his self-righteousness. And he understood that nothing but the grace of God. And he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. But I labored. I labored more than them all. And this becomes, brothers and sisters, our deep hope, our very hope. Now, I know you've heard lots of definitions about grace over the years. You've probably read books about it. You've probably searched on the internet about it. You've gone to the Bible to understand it. Hopefully, that's been your first place. And, and I know that Brother Harb and I have, have shared with you different, different definitions of grace over the years, and I'm not saying that they're wrong. But I want to just offer to you another thought this morning, in addition to the many thoughts that you've heard. I'm not saying let go of the other thoughts. But I want to share with you a thought that kind of relates to what I'm sharing today. A way to understand, another way to understand grace. And it's this. Grace is God's decision. God, grace is God's decision to love the unlovable and to change the unchangeable. Grace is God's decision 
Because if it was yours, you'd still be in your sin. You'd be still wallowing in your misery. You'd be still in your self-pity. You'd be still wrapped up in fear and gripped by fear. You would still prefer a, a, a sinful lifestyle than a holy, righteous one. So it's God's decision. So let's stay humble. It's God's decision to love the unlovable. There was nothing you did that God thought, oh, he's very lovable now. Because look what he did. Look how good he was. Uh, you know, like, like how we love. That when someone is good to us, we love them. But when someone is bad to us, you know, we wash our hands from them. Jesus says, really, is that, is that what your love is going to be like? That you greet those who only greet you? So God's decision to love the unlovable and listen, to change the unchangeable. That when you sit there and you're praying to God and you say, God, how in the world are you going to change this in me? How in the world are you going to take me from where I am to where I need to be? Because everything I've tried so far has failed. Then God says, it's my grace. My grace to love the unlovable and change the unchangeable. And if that can resonate in your heart this morning, brothers and sisters, I believe it's going to help you to hold on to the God, the creator, who's able to transform your life and make it everything it needs to be because it's in his interest, because it's for his name and for his glory. How important for us it is to stay humble because God gives grace to the humble but resist the proud. So can I encourage you this morning, brothers and sisters, as you listen to amazing grace or you listen to, to the idea of how God's grace has transformed our lives, that you would, running parallel to that, that you would be reminded consistently that you must walk humbly before him. So let's go to chapter 15. Now, I want to just read a few verses for us. And I want to just emphasize, I just want to emphasize a few things. And, and if we don't finish this morning, that's okay. But I, I don't want to, I just want to, I just want to read as, as God leads us. Um, so chapter 15, verse 1, the Bible says, Moreover, brethren, I, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you and which, you, which also you received and in which you stand. And I know this is the kind of verse, brothers and sisters, that you can easily skim over and you could easily kind of roll into the next one because it's kind of an introductory type of verse into what he's about to say. But I want to pause and I want to sit in this verse for a while because it's a really good verse or it's a very good statement that Paul is saying to the Corinthian church. Remember, he's speaking to a church we know that has, has some issues. And he's correcting a few things. And all these things that he's talking about, he brings it back down to one important thing. And he talks about the gospel. He talks about the very message that Jesus came to teach and die for and to rise again for. And he says this to them. He says, my brethren, I, I declare to you. He wants to tell them. He wants to make it known to them. Perhaps he wants to remind them. Perhaps he wants to re reinforce for them something that perhaps they have, have somehow forgotten. Maybe they've started to make it about themselves. 
Maybe they've made this Christian thing about them and only them and how they feel about things. Maybe they've made the Christian faith about, about rules and regulations that God never intended for that to be. Maybe they've got to the place where they're feeling disheartened and discouraged and disillusioned by what they thought Christianity was going to be. Maybe they've thought to themselves, how can all these circumstances be of God if the Roman Empire comes and destroys the Christians? And maybe they're thinking that, just like the Christians today might be thinking, how can these things be happening in the world today? And there'd be a God and there's the questioning things. And perhaps Paul is saying, in the light of all that is going on around this church, Paul's saying, I want to declare to you or perhaps remind you of something really important, and it's called the gospel. It's called the gospel. And this gospel we know is a message that Jesus taught, a gospel that is full of what? Two words. Do you know them? He came full of what? Grace and truth. And I don't know, you know, this is like, uh, this is like the, the, the best of two things coming together and, and it's combined and you've got this in, and, and you've got the privilege of owning not just one great thing, but two that have combined and, and, and can never be separated. Grace and truth. When truth speaks into my heart and cuts me, grace comes and heals me. When truth comes into my heart and challenges me and says, you shouldn't be doing this, grace comes along and says, I'll help you. When, when truth comes along and says, did you see this? this? This can't be here. Grace says, hey, I'll come and remove it. And this is beautifully uh, embodied by the life of Jesus who spoke grace and truth. And when he spoke to people in my heart, brothers and sisters, when he spoke to the broken, they would have heard in his voice healing. Because what he saw in them are people that needed hope. He needed help. Are people who were bound and caught up in their sin. And he knew that he could set them free. And so he spoke truth and he spoke grace. And this was the gospel. And then to complete it, and he needed to do this, he hung on the cross and shed his blood so that you and I can experience grace and truth. And then he rose to declare himself the son of God because no sin was found in him. And so he rose declaring, declared to be the son of God. And Paul wants to remind them, listen to these verses that help us understand a bit about the gospel. Paul says in Romans 1, he says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Well, you, you can understand that why now he's not ashamed. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, he says, for it is the power of God to salvation. Do you get that? It's the power of God for salvation. In other words, if God wanted us to be smart, he would send us some kind of intelligent being that was, that was able to somehow articulate everything, we would sort of resonate and think, whoa, I'm amazed now because I've got it in my head. Don't get me wrong. I believe Jesus was very intelligent. But if that's what God wanted, he would have made that the emphasis. No, but he said this. He sent a man, the Lord Jesus Christ, to live holiness, to preach holiness, and then to die in weakness only to be raised with power. Because he says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel because it is the power of God to salvation. And if you're running around scrapping through things, hoping that you're going to find salvation in something else, that you're going to find freedom and healing in something else, that maybe there's a better thing out there. 
that you're going to search for all your life until you come to a place of rest at the foot of the cross and let the blood of Jesus wash over you. Oh, precious is the flow that makes us white as snow. There is no expiry date, beloved, with the gospel. Did you know that? There is no best before with the gospel. Sometimes I wonder whether people think there's a best before for the gospel. Whether they think to themselves, oh, the Lord Jesus Christ, yeah, it's working for me. It's quite nice. I'm enjoying it. It's lovely. But then all of a sudden things don't kind of work out as best as you hope they thought. And so Christ, Jesus Christ is best before something better comes up. There is no best before in the gospel. There is no best before dates. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same healing that the man on the cross experienced is the same healing you and I experience today. You cannot run to something that God has created. You need to run to the creator. What can wash away my sin? Listen to this. Oh, sorry. And he goes on to say, for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek, because God is so interested in his creation that he says, you think I'm worried about whether you're Jew or Greek? You think I'm worried about whether you're, you're Asian or Lebanese? Do you think I'm worried about these things? What I'm worried about or what I'm concerned about is that you trust in what I've done for you on the cross. What I did for you on the cross was to shed my blood to wash your sin away and to find peace with your creator. The Apostle John wrote this in 1 John 4. He says, I'll tell you what love is. This is, this is kind of my version of the, of the phrase. He says, well, he says, in this is love. Or you can say, I'll tell you what love is. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Now, I think that big word propitiation basically it simply means this. God had his anger to satisfy and God had his love to satisfy. How is he going to resolve the anger of sin? And how is he going to resolve the love of his people? And he says, you know what? I'll send Jesus. He'll die on the cross for their sins and he'll restore them to me. And, and, this, and this, it becomes their propitiation. But what, he, what God is saying here, what John is saying here beautifully is that this is tell you what love is. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent Jesus. Remember, God's decision to love the unlovable and to change the unchangeable. And then in Isaiah, beautifully, the Isaiah, uh, the Spirit of God beautifully articulates uh, in Isaiah 53, he says, talking about Jesus prophetically, he says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. What was he wounded for? What did he hang on the cross for? For our transgressions. And this is where people get it wrong. They sit on their couch and they say this. Not my transgressions. God, I'm not that bad. I haven't killed anyone. I haven't lied. I haven't stolen. And they use the classic things to say that. But no, he was wounded for our transgressions. Everyone, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You think if I don't think evil, if I don't think evil, you think somehow I'm exempt from sin? No, it's, it's, it's everything we've done. But he was wounded. That's why God chose to wound him. You shouldn't be ashamed of your sin. Yes, be ashamed in the sense that you shouldn't be doing this, but come to the cross because he was wounded for our transgressions. He was, bru uh, sorry, he was bruised 
for our iniquities. That's why God chose to bruise him. Because you, you and me sinned against him. And God says, how am I going to show them grace? Well, I'm going to wound my son. I'm going to bruise him for their sin. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. Did you understand that? The reason why God chastised him for our peace. So that we can be reconciled to the Father and to know our Creator and to know there is nothing greater than to be forgiven. Remember when the disciples were very excited and they said to Jesus, we've done this and we've done this, we've done this. What did Jesus say to them? Are you rejoicing over these things? I'm telling you something. It's like he says to them, come here. I want to tell you a secret. Don't rejoice because of these things that you seem to be outwardly doing, but rejoice because your name is written in the book of Because I know the Lord Jesus Christ knew that when we find comfort and rest in the forgiveness and the reconciliation, then he knows that we find joy. He has rejoiced because your names are written in the book of life. This morning, brothers and sisters, if you do not have your names written in the book of life, I understand if you have no reason to rejoice. I understand if you lack joy, if your names are not written in the book of life. And that doesn't mean if your names are written in the book of life, you, you, uh, you must have joy. I'm saying you, you might, your names might be there and you still lack joy for other reasons. But I'm telling you, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ this morning and you're resisting putting your faith and trust in him, then I'm telling you this morning, there is no reason in your life to rejoice in the way, in the sense of what is ultimately going to help you. And by his stripes, he says, we're healed. And that's why he was allowed to be stripped, whipped again and again and again. And that's why the Father in heaven allowed them to put a crown of thorns on his head and then to be whacked over the head by the reed. That's why the Father allowed them to pluck out his beard, not with some nice kind of shaving equipment, but with their hands. So that by his stripes, we are healed. The father did all these things so that we can find healing, grace and freedom. This is why it's amazing grace. This is why the lady in Lebanon was spot on. She doesn't want politics, guns and religion because that's not what Jesus came to bring when he hung on a cross. And then he says... I declare this gospel to you, which I preach to you, and which you also received. Because one of the one of the big misunderstandings of life, my brothers and sisters, is that somehow God has sent his son in this world that everyone can be saved. Well, no. I, I would love it to be that boy. It would make my responsibility in life so much easier. Wouldn't it be so good if we could say to people, everyone's saved? It's like, whoa. Oh, I can just rest now for a bit. But that's not the case. God has sent his son into the world 
we've preached the gospel, the gospel that heals, the gospel that forgives, the gospel that set free. And he says to the Corinthians, and you have received it because this gospel must be received. And many of you that are listening this morning, I can testify, and I'm sure you can testify that many of you this morning can say, I've received this gospel. That's why I am who I am today. But it's like someone holding a big feast or a big wedding and they send out invitations to everyone. But they say to the people, you must respond if you're going to come. And if you don't respond, you cannot come. And so there's this RSVP that God has sent out to the whole world that the Lord Jesus Christ has died for your sins and he's come to set you free. And you need to respond to this. But listen, there's a catch. There's a catch to God's RSVP. And I'm going to tell you the catch this morning. There is no date on it. There is no date on God's RSVP because we don't know the date. We don't know the time. We don't know when God says it's time for you to leave this earth. You don't know when you will die and I don't know when I'll die. So there is no RSVP on, in God's invitation because he says today is the day of salvation. So brothers and sisters, if today you're running away from God or you resist God or you're refusing God and you're hearing the love of God that hung on the cross for you and you're saying, why am I resisting this? And I'm telling you the truth. God is sending out the invitation to you and today you must receive him. There is no date on the RSVP. You play with your life every day you wait. And how can we ignore such great salvation? How can we resist so great a love? How can we run away from something that is so beautiful? And then he says in that first verse again, by which you stand. <laughs> by which you stand. That's beautiful, isn't it? By which you stand. I get a sense when Paul says this, he talks about not so much a standing like, um, obviously not like a standing like I'm standing now, but a standing in that you are immovable. You don't want to move away from this. You know that it's the only thing that's going to give you life. It's like breath. And you stand in this knowing that even if something appears to be better that comes my way, that nothing is better than a pure and holy relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing is better than to come under the, the wings of his care, the transformative wings of his care, to take us from where we were to we are today by grace and take us where we are today to where we need to be by grace. To heal our, 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 our fears by peace, by grace and to continue to hear, heal our fears by peace, by his grace. And we come humbly at his feet and say, Lord, in humility, I want to stand. And it's an interesting contrast because basically what it's saying is this, God, I'll humble myself so I can stand. And by your grace, I will do this. It's different to what the psalmist says in Psalm 1. It's in contrast, not so much in contrast. It, it reinforces, rather, what the psalmist said, but the psalmist says it in a different way. He says this in Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, Psalm 1.1. And what the psalmist is saying is kind of the same as Paul, but he's saying it in the opposite. He's saying, you know what? You are blessed 
if you don't stand in the path of the sinner. You don't stand where they stand. You don't hold positions that they hold. You don't want to be where they are, not necessarily physically, but in their state of their hearts. Because even Jesus sat with them, but his heart was very different to them. And he saw in them the capacity to become like himself. And the psalmist says, blessed is that man that does this. Blessed is that man. So Paul says, this is the gospel I declare to you, that I preach to you, that you have received. And brothers and sisters, I'm encouraging you this morning that you would stand by. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. If this morning you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, that I encourage you to receive it. I encourage you to realise that today is the day of salvation. There's an RSVP that has no date. Today may be that day. But I trust that as you hear God's voice, you would respond. And those of you that know the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm encouraging you to stand because this week pressures will come. And already I imagine the devil could be whispering and saying all kinds of things to you to discredit or undermine what God is trying to communicate. But I know his grace is sufficient. And I know that if you humble yourself before the hand of the Lord, he will lift you up. And I know, as God promised, that he will give, he will give grace to the humble. And I encourage us this morning, brothers and sisters, to look not to me, not to your efforts, not to all the things that you think you can plan to do well, but to look to the cross. And perhaps this morning we need to be reminded what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Let me pray for us. And ask you this morning to come before the Lord and say, Lord Jesus, help me be more like you by your grace, Lord. May I be what I am. And perhaps what you need to do this morning is to be reminded of the Apostle Paul who said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And this morning, if you've been invited or you've been coming to the services and you, you still are resisting giving your life to Jesus, then I encourage you this morning to think today is the day of salvation. That you would pray this morning in your heart something like this. It doesn't have to be like this, but something like this. Lord Jesus, I have sinned against you. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me to wash away my sins, to make me whole again. And that you would come to the Lord Jesus today and just ask him, beg him, cry out to him even, and say, Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinner. And I want to live for you. I want to live your way. And I want you to know this morning that if you've prayed that prayer, God is not unjust. He says that if you come to him, he will give you rest. You need to trust in his word.
Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord God, for this morning. I thank you for your amazing grace, Lord. Like the Apostle Paul, the only thing I can say to this morning is I am what I am because of your grace. Lord, I don't say that lightly. I don't say that proudly. I say that in some ways ashamed, Lord. But you know all things, and I thank you that you are full of grace and truth. I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in the many hearts of those in the church today. And I thank you, Lord, what you're going to continue to do in our lives because of your grace. You are amazing and your grace is amazing, Lord God. I thank you for today. And Lord, I just want to praise you and honour you for all the things you give us. And I pray that as we, uh, as we mingle a little bit now, that it's, you bless it. You bless this time that we can have, this short time on Zoom. Um, but I do pray, most importantly, that we take into the week the very things you've spoken to our hearts about. Father, I pray uh, if those who are committed to maybe memorising this verse, that you would encourage them. Uh, and help them to keep your word very, very close to their hearts. Lord, I thank you. Thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you for their love and for their care. I just thank you, Lord. I feel very honoured to be part of who they are. And uh, I just thank you for them, Lord, and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.